the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 39. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. We're going to talk football and hockey on this week's edition of the Go Gopher Podcast, and there's certainly a lot to discuss. I'm excited to welcome back to the show the Gopher guru, Daniel House. He's excellent at breaking down game film, analyzing strategy, and figuring out what went right and what went wrong in a game. And this past week's homecoming game is one such game worth breaking down, figuring out what went wrong and what went right in a 20-10 setback to the hands of the Purdue Boilermakers. Daniel House will give us all the details soon. We will then shift gears to Gopher Hockey. The second-ranked Gopher men swept past Lindenwood over the weekend and now get a home-and-home this coming weekend with Minnesota State Mankato. Our good friend Frank Mazzocco returns to the Go Gopher podcast. He'll recap this past weekend, look ahead to the weekend ahead, and preview the rest of the season. Can't wait for you to hear from Frank. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alum owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone, and True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. You can get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work. Visit Sunbelt Minnesota.com or TNMA.com today. We're also glad to have Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union with us on the Go Gopher podcast. Affinity Plus has been a longtime Gopher supporter, and it's more than just a financial institution. They support so many good causes that includes Gopher Athletics, also a big-time supporter of Special Olympics Minnesota. And I was thrilled to attend the Affinity Plus Foundation fundraiser last Thursday night, Dueling for Dreams. It was at the beautiful Fillmore in downtown Minneapolis. Great venue, great entertainment entertainment, and generous people helped raise around $140,000 for the Affinity Plus Foundation, which engages, educates, and empowers people, helping them unlock opportunities and better their lives. You can find out more about that at affinityplus.org slash gogophers. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. Tony is a big gopher football and gopher hockey fan. We invite you to subscribe to our Go Gopher podcast. You can go back and listen to to the Go Gopher podcast from weeks gone by. Last week, for example, I spoke with Golden Gopher punter Mark Crawford. He's from Perth, Australia. Just a wonderful conversation. I know you'll enjoy it if you want to go back and listen. Please subscribe to the podcast. It's free at any time to listen and click that subscribe button. Episode 39 is underway. Let's break it down with the Gopher guru, Daniel House. Here's our conversation. Daniel, good to see you. Grimmer, it's always good to be on. I remember listening to you as a kid call games, so it's, it's an honor to be on your podcast. Man, uh, man, I just I would have would have never imagined it when I was a kid. So this is this is an honor, man. You're making me feel old now, you know. Uh, it's it, but that's cool, man. I love it. It's awesome. I uh, I had a, a high school kid come up to me at one of the coaches' shows a, a week or two ago and say, I, "I've listened to you my whole life," and I'm like. Yeah, he's right. That that makes me pretty old, crazy, but um, awesome. Well, we, well, look, you earned it because uh, you're so good at what you do, and I wanted to have you on um, because you are really good at breaking down the film, picking out some plays, uh, looking at game plans. What did one team do to help the other? And um, I was hoping when we would have you on this week that we'd be talking about another dominating Gopher performance, like we saw in East Lansing, and the homecoming game would have gone well, and Minnesota might be in the top fifteen now and a clear favorite in the West. 
West. But Daniel, none of that uh, happened because the Gophers uh, did not win that game, and Purdue played pretty well. You and I, in our preseason picks, you were on that yeah. episode. We were, I think, two of only the only two guys on that uh, preseason look that said keep an eye out on Purdue, and um, and the Boilermakers ended up getting the Gophers. But uh, let's uh, before we get into the whole breakdown, tell people how they can find out uh, all about your stuff and go watch and subscribe. It's uh, gophersguru.com is my website. So I'm taking a little different approach to Gophers coverage, some uh, film analysis, uh, advanced analytics breakdowns, uh, just kind of diving into the trends of the game and also pairing that up with football instinct to give fans a little simplified perspective into maybe understanding the game differently. And then you know, features and general content uh, in between that. So you can head over the subscription packages, $5 a month at gophersguru.com. Awesome. Gophersguru.com. Daniel House with us here on episode number 39, the Go Gopher podcast. So let's let's dive right into it, Daniel. I know you spent some time breaking down film on that game, 20 to 10, the final. It was 10 to 10, you know, midway through that fourth quarter. And then Purdue made some plays, got the uh, go-ahead field goal, which kept Minnesota in it. And then, um, and then they forced a three and out and then popped a 60 plus yard run. And basically that was the ball game. But um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to start. And again, you're the guy that breaks a film down. I just yeah. call it as I see it. And I don't I, I'm not a great, uh, you know, film breakdown guy, although I feel I have a fairly good grasp of of some of the things I see and strategies and that, you know, I can talk all day about strategy and why would you go for it here and why didn't you do this? And should they have punted and and all of that? Um, but I, I, I don't know. I can't get into the weeds on the on the football stuff. So my, as I described the game, one of the things that struck me and stood out was when we were in East Lansing um, and if Michigan State loaded the box, because that was going to be the first test, uh, when they loaded the box, what would Minnesota do? And Tanner Morgan picked them apart mostly on that simple, and I say simple, I know there's a lot that goes into it, that slant, Mike Brown-Stevens slant, Mike Brown-Stevens slant. Uh, sometimes it was Dalen Wright, sometimes it was Clay Geary, but they just feasted. Uh, Tanner threw three incompletes all day. Um, and I didn't see much of that Saturday, and so my amateur mind in football is going where was that play where was that that they just feasted on Michigan State and I'm assuming you have an answer for me yeah they took away the RPO game they were not going to get beat underneath with the quick hitting stuff and you could tell that was a big part of their game plan watching it back they dropped underneath played physical on the perimeter jammed on the boundary which we saw a lot in previous games they're a heavy single high man coverage type of team they like to bring that use that quite frequently Kirk Scirocco was talking about that during the week potentially being a challenge and having to be ready for it but you look at what Chris Jefferson kind of their nickel safety hybrid player did was a big part of their game plan sort of roaming occasionally disrupting the timing of Minnesota's inside receiver which was usually Mike Brown Stevens and then Cam Allen was matching up against the vertical routes so anytime you know Mike Brown Stevens maybe was going to break in on that glance or slant route uh, maybe Jefferson is jamming, getting a little physical to disrupt the timing, or Mike Brown-Stevens is going vertical and the safety's matching up against it. So that's why you saw a big play on the 66-yard uh, pass to uh, Daniel Jackson because they ran that vertical route with MBS, the go ball, the safety matches it, the hybrid players underneath, clears out, vacates space, and Daniel uh, Jackson comes in on the dig route for – uh, breaks a tackle, 66-yard play. So they were trying to find ways to clear that out, Grim, throughout the day. Underneath, how can you potentially attack that? We saw it 
They cleared underneath defenders with a high-low shallow crosser on third and short late in the first half with Jackson. You know, a shallow cross underneath, and then uh, Brevin with an inside-breaking route. Moved some defenders. On the next play, they ran hard outside zone play action to the boundary. They had two tight ends in line, two receivers to the left. And the play fake really sucked the defenders, including the backside cornerback, which cleared the crosser for span forward. And then you got the drop ball in the red zone going backside to Mike Brown-Stevens. Wins the route, uh, just drops the ball, goes right into Cam Allen's arms. And that was the that was the name of the game, Grim. I thought yeah. three plays, three or four plays. I believe that anybody who knows me knows my philosophy that three or four games oh, plays in a game always define it. And I felt like that was the case in this one. Yeah, you look at that uh, pass that went through Brown Stevens' hands, then it ricocheted off his shoulder pad in the end zone. And I'm going to say, what, seven out of ten of that uh, you know, is probably a hard enough pass that'll hit his shoulder pad and fly into the seats or ricochet mm-hmm. somewhere and hit the ground. But it, and, and then you still have a field goal, right? I think that was a third and goal. Um, and then you still Correct. have a field goal. But as it stands, it turns into an interception. So you drop, not only is it a, you know, a misguided, a misguided play, the throw was right on target. Uh, as you said, he won the route, he did everything. And then it goes through his hands and then bounces off. And it turns into an interception, so no points. Highly disappointing. Yeah. One of those plays, and you mentioned that that shallow cross. I, if memory serves, did when when they would back in the in 2019 when Sharaka was here, when they tried to take some of that stuff away, not just Purdue, but I'm saying in general, Bateman started to make a living off that little shallow cross, right? Because with his speed, and teams then had to account for that. And I'm guessing that's what um, the Gophers are hoping with that play now with Daniel Jackson as well. That's what you're trying to do. High-low concepts are a big part of 2019 and everything that Kirk Shiraka does. You know, you're trying to get those linebackers and potentially someone who's roaming to clear out. You know, you've got the shallow cross and then you got another in-breaking route from the tight end or an inside receiver. So you're trying to occupy those players that are, you know, dropping underneath and clearing out space. So there was a lot of things that they were trying to do. You could tell they were trying to find answers throughout, especially in the second half, attacking the flats that slips green to Brevin Spanford on the backside was great little motion with Geary off split zone to move the defense. I think they got like nine yards off that running play, one of their best rushing attempts of the whole day. And they were trying to tack some things underneath just to create space. Uh, Three by one formation where, you know, attacking to the boundary where there was less numbers, trying to do some things formationally just to get some advantages and try to spread out and get that sort of a hybrid defender to, you know, not be, uh, taking everything away that they were trying to get. So, I mean, they they had answer, trying to find some answers, but just couldn't really do it. And they didn't blitz very much, Grim. They blitzed one time the whole game. Minnesota ran a play action slanted to it, but the safety was sitting with inside leverage and broke it up. So, I mean, they they were winning the line of scrimmage with their front, and I felt like that could be the case coming in because they are physical and athletic. They got three really good players up front, some young guys that are starting to emerge too. Yeah, and I know they had, the week before, had some uh, they gave up some rushing yards against Florida Atlantic, but in watching that game, a lot of that came on the quarterback, um, which you know, that's always hard. Those Mm -hmm. D-linemen aren't going to be able to contain all the time. And the Gophers, let's face it, just, you know, uh, that's not going to be a huge factor in their running attack. Um, and, and you're right, I've got a bunch of follow-ups now on all this great info you've given us, but uh, from that running standpoint, and again, this is a real simple observation, and I know it gets much more complicated, but I think when the Gophers are balanced and doing what they did at, at, at let's say, in East Lansing, where, okay, if you're going to mm-hmm. stack eight in the box, then we're going to 
run pass option and throw over you and and Tanner's going to go 23 or 26 but if you bring an extra to stop that if you're going to bring an extra defensive back in or sag off then we're going to hand the ball off and let our offensive line um, them as if they're talking let the offensive line you know move mm-hmm. move the line of scrimmage and we'll just run you to death but the offensive line wasn't able to do that uh, you know they 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 did sneak a safety into the box on occasion kind of rotate him through but just the one-on-one battles for whatever reason um, and and that changed everything right right and you, you got to be able to try to take some pressure off of that get somebody out of the box that's what the gophers offense that's when they're really good is mo- when they're multi-dimensional they're able to you know if you're going to stack the box then you're going to throw out all over the yard and have answers for that and if you want to drop into zone and play that to take away the pass and dedicate an extra defender in coverage and you're going to run right into it and they weren't really able to do that because they were taking away that underneath game they knew that they probably could win up front so they said all right take away that intermediate game and get things longer developing downfield force them to have to hold the pocket uh, consistently longer developing routes and that was certainly a great plan because a lot of pressure was applied you look at tanner's numbers in that game he was pressured significantly 32 percent of his dropbacks adjusted completion percentage of 50 percent on those plays and they weren't able to find a group they've been so good on first down through those first few games they only had a 21 percent first down success rate and success is defined as getting 50 percent of your yardage on first down so they were not able to do that enough in this game and that got them behind the sticks longer developing routes and they had to try to clear all those underneath defenders out significantly throughout that that was a problem. And then they tried to go under center a few times. I thought that would initially be the game plan coming in, like stack it, go under center, roll the pocket, tried that, led to an interception. They were crashing those boots. They did a good job getting ready to prepare for that. They saw that on film and knew right away that their defensive ends were going to crash on that. So they sort of shied away from that after uh, Purdue defended it well. How much of a concern is it? it? Was it a personnel issue that Michigan State couldn't defend it this way? Now that Purdue's got a little game film out there, and hey, this is the Gophers for the first time all year struggled looking ahead. Uh, I mean, I guess answer that first part first. Was Michigan State's personnel just not able to do what Purdue did? And how concerned might that be now looking ahead? You got Illinois, you got Penn State, and obviously into November where it's really tricky with some of these teams. Purdue's cornerback talent was significantly better, which allows them to do more things on the perimeter. Like I said, they were getting really physical on the boundary with the receivers, and they're able to confidently play that man coverage when they need to. And next week, out of the bye week, playing Illinois, a team that loves man coverage, that will play very physical. It's another match. If you look at the data, you look at the advanced stats like I do, Purdue and Illinois are very comparable defensively. Illinois is even better in some areas and in that I look at. So I know that this matchup is going to be very similar in that sense. So, you know, you look at you look Grim, you kind of look at this game and you also go rushing attack, the running backs were not able to break tackles. And I mean, some of that was due to the offensive line. That plays into it where it's like, you know, you just don't have rushing lanes, but there are also some instances where it didn't feel like the running backs were super decisive. And the the interesting stat is they didn't force a single missed tackle the whole game. That has never happened in the P.J. Fleck era. Wow. Looking at the data. And that's something that's a trend when they don't play, when they don't break tackles, they don't play as well. And you can check this out on my site. I'm going to do a detailed deep dive on this. They only forced two missed tackles against Illinois in the loss last season. 
three against Bowling Green. And there's a certain number that they seem to hit when they break tackles while running the football that they have a lot of success with. So this week, that will be one of the things I'm talking about, but they were not able to get that done. When you're running a zone scheme, you have to be able to make that first defender miss significant uh, on a significant amount of your plays, but also it ties into the O-line too, not doing a great job of uh, blocking things up either. Well, and you mentioned the uh, the breaking tackle. Certainly, Muhammad Ibrahim is amongst the best at you yep. know uh, avoiding uh, hard contact initially, veering off and getting positive yards. Even if he doesn't break the tackle, he's going to get positive yards because he'll you know he'll he'll just take a, a a glancing blow and and continue forward. And how much? I mean, I I, I would not say oh well, if the Gophers had Muhammad Ibrahim, they would have won this game. They might have. I don't know that, but I'm not going to go that far to say well that was a difference in the game. Game, but how much in your mind after watching it, knowing what Mo uh, does, how much of an impact did his absence have in this outcome? Well, it's a major deal. Some of those runs that you have, maybe he breaks a couple of tackles, falls forward, you know, yards after contact, gets you to the point maybe where you're not behind the sticks as much. It just felt like the backs were a bit dis- indecisive at times, but then there were situations where plays were getting strung out and uh, there was just no rushing lane. And I, I think it's unbelievable because the week prior, the Gophers broke 14 tackles on rushing plays against Michigan State, was, which was the best output they had in a Big Ten game under P.J. Fleck. Wow. So going from that to this against Purdue tells you that Mo Ibrahim's extremely valuable. I mean, he averages through the first four games, he was averaging about six broken tackles a game. Minnesota has a lot of success when they hit a certain number. So this week we'll be talking about that uh, that yeah. number. It's pretty crazy how it kind of correlates with their success with, with how with how well they do. And and with uh, Ibrahim uh, out, that meant Trey Potts, who had you know a wonderful year last year until he suffered the serious injury, ironically against Purdue. And then um, obviously a couple of kids that were successful in filling in transferred away. And now Bryce Williams, who I think's had a pretty good year. I mean, he's shown I think some shiftiness we hadn't seen. We know about his speed if he gets into the free. Um, but right off the bat, you could just tell something was weird because the very first play of the game was a five-yard loss on a straight handoff, which I don't remember the last time Minnesota's lost five yards on a on a straight. There, there was nothing about that play that should have lost five yards, and it did right off the bat. Yeah, the, the Purdue's front is just very physical, set the edge well. I thought coming in that group was very impressive and one of the better fronts that the Gophers would play all year. I was writing in my breakdown saying this is the first major test. Let's see how it goes. And it, it didn't it didn't go how they would have liked it to. And that hurt them significantly because, A, they couldn't run the ball. The box was stacked. They couldn't really open it up through the passing game. They needed some more time for those longer developing routes to kind of get open to clear some guys out. And they couldn't do that. So Purdue did a nice job of taking away things underneath. And just Minnesota's execution wasn't there. You look at Mike Brown-Stevens' drop, like we said, then that missed uh, hole shot on third and nine. It was like the midway point of the second quarter. Ball wasn't placed in the best spot. There was pressure from the right. They had to settle for a field goal there. And it fo- quietly felt like it was kind of a big miss uh, watching the game back. Yeah, no doubt. And that was that was a pass to span forward on the far sideline as we look at it. Is that right? Yep, yep. That and was that, a pass if, to span forward. If the throw's on target, it's a touchdown, right? He had him beat his guy by, beat by three or four yards. 
Yeah, and then there was pressure from the right that sort of altered the throw. So it was one of those things, again, just hold that protection just a little bit longer. Then they missed that 28-yard field goal. And I think people are looking at the field goal, but what about the sequence before that? They're at the 10-yard line. It's first and goal late in the first quarter. You get that 66-yard explosive play. You get an indecisive inside run, outside zone play that loses yardage, and then that tight coverage on the pass intended for Jackson in the end zone. So I thought there were opportunities. I think if you get a TD entering the half, the entire game might have looked different because you're getting the ball first and you could have maybe put some more pressure on them. I felt like the defense was doing what it needed to do, but the offense couldn't really sustain it, and the defense started to maybe get a little bit wore down at the end, especially on that last drive when they gave that explosive uh, rushing play up. Yeah, I think if you'd have told the coaching staff before the game that Purdue would score 20, they'd be, well, up until that 60-yarder at the end that sealed it, they were going to be over 100 under their season average in yards, uh, that your Mm -hmm. defense would get you three turnovers, that you'd take that from your defense and figure you're going to win that game uh, maybe not even you know might maybe even going away um, and as it turned out they just like you said execution wise offensive line wise just a, a tick even the Jackson 66 yard play you know um, he, he's maybe a half a step from that's being a 76 yard touchdown right and if that yeah. if that becomes a touchdown instead of did it end up being a missed field goal there at the end, of uh, yeah, it ended up being the yeah. missed the, the miss field goal. Yeah. So even if he's a half step to the left, because uh, a guy angles him out, if you know a half step might mean that's a six point play. Uh, you get the extra point, and and who knows where the game goes from there, right? So it's just even, and and we, and, and I'm sure Purdue, the whoever the Go Boiler podcast is doing, way well, that could that game was you know four plays from being forty two to six, you know, uh, and and as you yeah. mentioned, it's three or four plays, and and Purdue made some, and the Gophers missed on a few. Yeah, and entering the game, I mean, opponents had only crossed Purdue's 40-yard line four times per game, which was like a top-20 mark in college football. And the Gophers were averaging eight trips inside the 40 of their opponent per game, which was the third best. Purdue cut that number in half, and Minnesota only had two-and-a-half points per opportunity inside the 40-yard line. So I thought that was a big part of the game, not being able to capitalize on some of those situations with more points. Uh, That put a little bit more pressure on the defense because – uh, they weren't able to sort of expand the lead and put kind of sort of gain control of the game. It felt like it was there for the taking uh, right around halftime, and then they didn't get it. Felt like maybe they regained control a little bit, started to get in that direction at a halftime with the nice drive there. But I thought it, that might be it. I thought, you know what? It's tied uh, this thing now. The, the Gophers could, could go win this 24 to 10, but I was wrong. Yeah, and you come out attacking the flats, slip screen to span forward, a little more motion. Uh, you, you ran a screen uh, into the boundary out of a three-by-one where there were less numbers, just trying to do some things to set stuff up. And there were opportunities out there. They just couldn't make enough plays. The O-line maybe couldn't block long enough. There was maybe a, a situation where they got behind the sticks and just couldn't recover on specific drives. I think moving forward, you look at – How can you maybe incorporate some more motion into the offense? I thought that did some good things for the ground game. It forces the defense to have to make some decisions and gives you a little diagnosis on coverage. Thought maybe there'd be some more like bunch sets in the game to create some traffic and kind of force the defense to align in a certain way. But, you know, those are some things that you could potentially look at moving forward. And if they're going to play that similar type of scheme, maybe you're double moving, uh, running a slot fade with your inside receiver, Um, I I think that there are some options. The bye week comes at a really good time because 
you're playing a team that loves man coverage, like we said with Illinois, that's extremely physical. And now you're going to need to unlock some answers. Now that that game film's out there from Purdue, uh, everybody's going to be in the laboratory coming up with some ideas on this one. Um, so Minnesota loses it 20 to 10. Um, does this change your prognosis? I know when you and I and the rest of the gang had our preseason picks, you had Minnesota as one of the favorites in the West along with Purdue. And, um, you know, Purdue showed why you were right there. Does this change anything? Does it change your mind in terms of long term where this Gopher team can end up? I don't think it changes anything because I felt like this was a game that was going to be a very tough matchup. I thought people really discounted Purdue because they I lost yeah. two yeah. close games, a ton of penalties. They had the ninth most penalty yards in the country coming into the game. They cut those penalties down. They only had four in this game for 55 yards. And I thought that was something that if they were going to win this game, they had to cut back on those bad penalties and huge, they came at horrible spots to like unsportsmanlike conduct, defensive pass interference, defensive holding. And those plays certainly define the outcome of those games. So I have felt all along that Purdue is going to be a very strong opponent in the Big Ten West. Minnesota's defense, I mean, we haven't talked much about the defense, but they did enough. They settled in after that uncharacteristic first drive where they missed some tackles and Purdue was generating some movement in the ground game. They started to get a little more aggressive with a simulated pressure. Simulated pressures kind of look like a blitz. A lot of announcers call them blitz, but like more so it's dropping a defender, bringing a second or third level defender like a linebacker or safety from a different spot. So you're really only rushing four. You're not sacrificing uh, coverage resources to apply pressure. So Minnesota does that a lot on top of mixing in some blitzes. But, you know, you you see what they're doing defensively with their safeties. I thought Howden and Newman played an outstanding game. Uh, being able to change that picture, they had some too high shell stuff. Being able to jump behind with everybody playing, look like man underneath on the TV copy. Uh, Howden able to get that pick. And then Newman Robin over the middle sort of baiting O'Connell into that pick. Uh, I thought the safeties were outstanding. It shows you all the potential that the defense has. Uh, now it's just all about offensively figuring out how to get back to the efficient level that they were in the previous games. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the Purdue situation, too, because I saw this on, and again, as our good friend Richard Patino always used to remind us, Twitter is not real life, Grim, is what he would tell me. Uh, but I thumbed through my Twitter timeline, and I'm not trying to suggest that, hey, uh, this is, you know, look, the Gophers, they did come out flat. It was a, it was a poor effort to start. An effort maybe is not the right word, but they just didn't have the energy. Purdue had something to do with that. I think this Purdue team's better than people thought. They were being discounted. The, the, the line of 12, I thought was crazy to start with and and the Big Ten West it's going to be a battle every week you can lose to anybody in the Big Ten it's not there's no Ohio State like like Minnesota's not Ohio State they're they're not going to roll everybody so it's going to be a battle every week Um, but I saw people on my Twitter timeline as I'm thumbing through Saturday night like oh same thing as Bowling Green. No, 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 no. Bowling Green is in a different category of loss than losing at home to Purdue, a team that might win the West, right? I mean, people have to have a little reality check. As disappointing as a loss was and as dysfunctional as the Gophers were at times doing stuff they did, even the late hit. Like, when's the last time P.J. Flex team has had a late hit? And I don't know if that that I know the late hit extended the drive I don't know if that drive ended up in points I don't have it in front of me but um, that that just doesn't happen much and it happened so mistakes were made the team was flat all of that but this is not Bowling Green I'm sorry it just just stop with that stuff 
Purdue's a very good football team. And like I said, people were discounting them. Now it, it's all about how you respond after that. What adjustments do you make? I feel if you can score 20 or more points, I said this coming into the season, if Minnesota can score more than 20 points, they're going to win a lot of football games because their defense will keep them in it. They have a lot of talent, good scheming on that side of the ball. The offense just has to sort of either get Muhammad Ibrahim back, which I think definitely impacted the game significantly. Offensive line can figure out some of these details going up against a really good front. How can they maybe uh, add some wrinkles that will suit the strengths of the players and adjust to the the wrinkle that Purdue gave them uh, that they hadn't saw maybe previously before. So, yeah, it's it's still there for the taking. I, I believe Wisconsin sort of made their change with the idea that they're still in the race feeling like maybe Jim Leonard will give them an energy injection. They got two road games at Northwestern, at Michigan State. Then they play Purdue. You wonder how much the outcome of the Minnesota game weighed into the decision going, hey, Minnesota you know, just lost to Purdue. Everybody's one and one, only one game back. Maybe you can get back into this thing. Yeah, and I was going to – I had that on my list of things to ask you. How surprised were you? I mean, you're talking about a guy that's a multi-coach a in, in Paul Christ who's a, a multi-divisional champion winner. has taken them to, what, two or three New Year's Bowl games, New Year's Six Bowl games. Um, now, yep. that said, three of the last four years, they finished the season not in the top 25, and that's that's not been the case for a long time at Wisconsin. So I get it. You could argue they were headed sideways, maybe at best. And so in one sense, you're like, whoa, that's that's kind of an SEC-level move there. 14 or 16 million dollars to make a change middle of the season um but you're right they you know and you're right if minnesota wins again to me that was the most disappointing part about the game is it was winnable and if you win it you're in total now control of the division but now you've made it a race it's a mess and you don't control your own destiny now uh purdue uh with that with that win uh has you know they do and there's some others that do but minnesota does not because purdue has the head-to-head tiebreaker and so they are going to need at least at some point somebody even if you win out if you're minnesota they're going to need somebody to beat purdue anyway back to wisconsin maybe that had an outcome because now the race is there. Any Anyone is still capable if uh, if they win football games from here to the end. You're wondering if it, they felt like they needed an energy injection of some kind. Like you watch Paul Chris press conference and you could just feel like he was defeated, didn't have a lot of answers. I left that watching that going, I, I could see something happening here. Mm-hmm. I know a lot about Jimmy because he grew up about 35 minutes east of where I live and I know a lot of people that are even related to Jimmy and other people that have worked with Jimmy throughout. I mean, I know I know he's going to do a really good job because yeah. he's very smart. He'll relate well with the recruits. Uh, he's someone that, you know, they feel like going into this NIL era, they needed to get somebody that can handle that at a very high level. And so now Jimmy gets a seven game audition here. Show what he can do as, a you know, never being a head coach before. I think they want to look at that and see how he does before they make a long-term decision because you got someone like Lance Leopold at Kansas, for example, potentially, you know, someone that they want to bring back an in-state type of target. So we'll see how it goes, but I was, I was surprised Wisconsin did. It was an untraditional move for UW to make a change like that in early October 
with their football program. Yeah, and, and I mean, the Big Ten in general doesn't do that much. You know, that's you know, I was somewhat tongue in cheek saying that's like an SEC level move, but um, and and a place that's had success. It's one thing to be Nebraska where it's been a problem, and they even probably waited longer than an SEC school would have waited to pull the trigger on that, just because it's a different uh, level of you know whatever you want to call it. But man, for Wisconsin to do that, um, I was surprised. I also think that Nebraska's opening may have had a deal uh, may may in in a in a backwards way may have had something to do with it because Wisconsin's not going to be able to hold off Jim Leonard from leaving. He's going to get a head coaching job someplace, and Nebraska's job is looming. There's going to you know there's Colorado's job is looming. There's some Power Five opportunities, Arizona State, um, and Jim Leonard's going to get brought up in those things. Um, even if Wisconsin doesn't uh, do great this year, although let's face it, his defense did allow 34 points against Illinois on on Saturday, so they aren't perfect on defense. They had to replace all those starters, but maybe part of that is you're right let's find out what he's got if he finishes strong he's going to be the guy right I mean if they end up finishing strong they're, they're not even going to open that up to interviews I would think um, but if if they continue to go sideways or pear-shaped uh, uh, then that might open it up to some outsiders and it also might open up Jim Leonard going elsewhere so it, it's a uh, boy what a what a, uh, a weave a web that could turn out to be over the next seven to eight weeks yeah, it's something that you don't see from Wisconsin. And they value stability there, and they don't like to make those changes. So a new AD making a move like this, it it we'll see how it goes. I, I want to see what the approach is. Like, do they do they go with Jimmy? If he if he does extremely well and they get a jolt here, he gets the job, no right. doubt. But it it creates now a dynamic in the Big Ten West with a a power that that has been a power in this division for a long time. Heading into a new landscape of college football, at the Big Ten about to look very different. I feel they they know they need to get out ahead of that. Yeah, and you think about it, they do uh, at Wisconsin have stability, right? Mostly because of Alvarez. Uh, Barry Alvarez had all the great success. Then in 05, he's he moves into the athletic director's role and hires Brett Bielema. But let's think about it. 05 is not that long ago. We're talking, let's say, 18 years. So let's just say in the last 19 years, they have now what are they? They're going to be on their sixth head football coach. That that that's that's above average, I would say, even in this topsy turvy kind of situation. I think I'm right there, right? Alvarez Bielema. Anderson, right? Am I missing any in there? And then you've got, uh, so it's five. Chris. Yeah, then it's Chris, and now it'll be, uh, yeah, so it's Virginia. five, right? Am I right there? Five yep, in the last five. 18 years. So that's, that's you know, that's not, I mean, even Minnesota, I don't know, you know, since then, they're probably on about that number, and uh, there's, you know, been some different things over there. So that, that it's stability, mostly because of Barry, but Barry's no longer, while he cast a shadow and he's still around, he's no longer in charge. And um, we, there's a new AD, a former player, uh, so it, it is interesting that the, that the, they shake the tree there, uh, you know, over there at this point. Yeah, and, and with the recruiting the way it is and the landscape of the transfer portal and all of those things, people, I feel, are maybe making these moves a little earlier so they can prepare for that and starting their searches now so that they can have some answers earlier than they normally do, you know? Yeah, well, what do you think, uh, as you look at this last couple here for Daniel House, the Gopher Guru, um, in this West division now, Purdue controls its own destiny. Some others, you know, I mean, there's this weird log jam of one and one teams. I think we can probably, you know, punt Northwestern out of there as a legitimate contender. I think you got to keep Illinois in, right, with what they did and the oh. defense that they have. Their defense might be the best in the division. 
Yeah, Illinois is very well coached on defense, and I, I think they made two really good coordinator hires, Barry Lunny from UTSA. The the way he pairs up the run game with the pass and then creates formational challenges with a lot of pre-snap motion, moving guys around, it will be a very big challenge preparing for that game just because of their schemes on both sides of the ball. I, that Bielema did a great job of targeting assistant coaches, which is very important. You know, It, it is super important as a head coach to bring in uh, not only coaches that are good X's and O's guys, but that they can develop talent. And you can definitely see that because they're they're very early in this rebuild. But yeah. now also you're seeing where it's more of the transfer portal, being able to bring guys in. When you take over a program now, you can get that thing off the ground if if you nail it with the portal a little bit. Yeah, so you got Illinois, I think, in the mix, right? Solidly in the mm-hmm. mix. They can, and they've got a key. This is like a key four week stretch for them. They win in Madison, then now they host their their border rival Hawkeyes this weekend. They're a favorite in that game now. I think five weeks ago, no one would have pegged the Hawkeyes as an underdog in that game, and now I think it's not only an underdog but a clear underdog. And then the Gophers come to town, and then you know, so that's a three week stretch. If they sweep those three games, then they're they're really in it. And then I think they have Purdue after that. And Purdue's in it. We've talked about that. You and I liked them from the start. I liked them more because of the schedule. Uh, like Minnesota, they avoid some of the big dogs in the East. Um, and Michigan State's not as good as anyone thought, so the schedule becomes easier in crossover land that way. Um, and then Wisconsin and Iowa, I don't know. I don't know. Was, Iowa still has offensive issues. Um, their defense is really good. We know that. Um, and Wisconsin, I don't know if we can... Well, it's all up to what happens now right I mean they're one and two Um, now a year ago they went on that run I think about a year ago this time people thought I don't know if Wisconsin's in it and then you know they um, they they were contending then by the time the season ended and maybe by the time the season ended people thought they'd be in it and the Gophers got them on the last last Saturday of the regular season but what do you think Wisconsin and Iowa yeah, Iowa's defense will always keep them in the game just because the, they play so disciplined. They limit the explosive plays. You go back to like 2017, they're one of the best teams at limiting explosive plays, and that's the result of Phil Parker's scheme, being able to play too high and not give up the big play, stay in your gap, defend the run well, and they have talent defensively, like their linebackers are good. and. Uh, that I think that you could maybe get them a little bit with their corners this year, but and their defensive line, I think they have a pretty young, ro- you know, rotation. They got some guys that sort of developed up and are now maybe starting to flash with even more experience. They're definitely better on their D line than they were last year, I think. So I look at them; they're so inefficient on offense. Though. You know, they 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 can't do anything well on that side of the ball. I don't know what it's going to take for what did Padilla do to not get a chance to be just a series somewhere. Like like one I mean, series somewhere, incredible. right? But Charlie Jones made the greatest career move anybody could yeah. make. Leaving Iowa transferred Purdue, becoming one of the most targeted receivers in America, playing at such a high level. We saw this last weekend. But, you know, Iowa just doesn't have the skill, talent, and the quarterback play. Their O-line has been up and down, shaky. Um, I I just – I don't know what to think about Iowa. I feel more confident, you know, about Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota, those three teams. 
than I do about Iowa and Wisconsin because Wisconsin's roster doesn't set Jimmy up for great success yeah. either because they don't have very good skill players, playmaker weapons on offense. And then defensively, the corners have been a bit of a liability, and I think that can be exposed as well. And you were on that before the season even started. I remember you talking about while everyone else had Wisconsin as a favorite, you were on the show saying, I don't know about Wisconsin. And up to this point, you, uh, you were, you're right on that. Same with Michigan State, too. I, yeah. I thought Michigan State would be the regression team. It looks like they're definitely going to be that. You know, They didn't do anything to address their secondary. So, yeah, it, Illinois is the team I want to see. Illinois versus Iowa will be a very good barometer of how the Big Ten West will shape up moving forward. I also think um, one of the things with the Gophers, and now we have to see how an Illinois and a Purdue handle it, is uh, the Gophers were kind of playing that first four weeks. The first three, they smoked everybody, and everyone was like, are they for real? We really don't know. And then East Lansing hits, and they're like, oh, let's see what they do. People around the league now, I'm talking, are saying, okay, yep. let's see what they do in a real game at East Lansing. And then they just thump them. And then it was like overnight, everyone ranked top 25, clear favorite. I mean, we had national people saying, this team could go undefeated. And I'm like, no, the Big Ten West, you, it, it, it's that, that it's hard. People don't get it. it it's a, uh, the, the, the floor is higher. The top is a little lower. It's scrunched together. Every game's a battle. There's And, and you and I know there's no game on the schedule the Gophers um, are, are guaranteed. There's no game on the schedule the Gophers cannot lose. They could, even Northwestern, who's struggled, if you catch them the wrong day and a, somebody picks up a fumble, you never know. Point being, um, it you know it, it they went overnight from we're not sure about this team to holy cow they're going to be in the Rose Bowl um, and so they had to handle that differently. Well, now guess what's happening this week? Illinois wins. They smoke Wisconsin, or they smoke Wisconsin in Madison. Um, now they have Iowa coming to town, and everyone in Champaign and around the leagues like this team's for real. How does Illinois handle that? How does Purdue now in the thick of it? Because they were, Purdue was not as under the radar as Illinois, but, um, and I don't know that's why the Gophers came out flat. I don't think it is, but there's no denying the Gophers came out flat. It may have had something to do with it. Human nature plays a role. So uh, let's say it had a little factor. Um, let's see what happens with, uh, with Purdue and Illinois now that they're going to be looked at as, oh, these guys are for real. Well, and remember, Minnesota has experienced success and then having to respond from games that were maybe disappointing where they didn't live up to the standard. So I, I, I believe they might have a little more experience to handle this in a better way than a team like, you know, Purdue or Illinois that maybe doesn't have as much experience in those types of moments. And I also look at Mo Ibrahim coming back. That changes a lot of things. Just his presence, his leadership, yeah. his 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 him just being on the field alone. It sounds crazy, but his presence is monstrous for for this program. And I know that like Purdue was a very good football team, so people got to remember the margin for error. I think college sports. We look at the NFL, and you know there's a loss, and it's a really good game. Somebody schemes up phenomenal game plan, and you go, okay, well, on to the next week. Where college, it's more of, oh man, I can't believe they lost. Like, oh. Yeah. Now they can't afford to lose. You know, that's what everybody kind of has that mindset of. But in reality, Purdue's a quality football team with a very good quarterback, offensive mind that is just outstanding, creates a lot of challenges. Watching him and Rossi go back and forth was a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. And I agree. I think the West, especially the Big Ten West, is like the NFL, not in quality of play and skill level. I get that. But in the sense that there's parity there in that nobody – 
There's no Ohio State in the NFL. There's no Georgia or Alabama in the NFL. In the Big Ten East, there is. Like if you're if 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 if, if you're the Buckeye guru and I'm Paul Keels, the radio guy, and we're doing the podcast, we're going into this week knowing that the go the, the Buckeyes are going to win. But in the West. <laughs> Every week is like the NFL, and you're right. You have to move on. I mean, okay, you lost. Uh, tough home loss. Uh, to me, the worst part was that if you won it and it was winnable, you you grab control and you you had a step ahead and you had some wiggle room. There's no wiggle room, um, but every week is now. Look at Illinois, no bargain. At Penn State, clearly not a bargain. And then you head into November, and there's no bargains. And that's that's what the NFL is every week. The Vikings face this every single week. There are no gimmies. There are no bad teams, and you have to bring it. And that's what the Gophers are going to face from here to the end. That's why I always tell people. I everybody starts looking ahead in the schedule, and they want it. They want to get all worked up when they see somebody lose, like Iowa and Wisconsin. All the jubilation online. It's like you know teams will get better over the course of the year. You know improvements and tweaks will be made. That's why I look at things in a chunk manner. Like you're looking at September, October, and November. Which teams are playing best about October twentieth? Yeah, that is always the best time to evaluate a team. I think you can do it after maybe the fourth game. You start to figure out what teams are really like. uh, And then you start to evaluate once you get into the heart of the Big Ten play, who is in the mix and who has made the improvements and adjusted to some of the things they're seeing. All right. Give us all the info again. Uh, Go for Guru. Gophersguru.com, the $5 a month subscriptions available there. And then you can check out the web, uh, the content that I have out on Twitter at Daniel House NFL. Awesome. Great stuff. We appreciate it. Thank you. And we will have you on again in a few weeks. Thanks, Grimmer. Appreciate it. My thanks to Daniel House, the Gopher Guru. Such great insight. When we come back, we'll talk Golden Gopher men's hockey with Frank Mazzacco from Gopher Radio. First, a word from Tony. Hey, Gopher fans, this is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm Show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonics Hospital for everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm Show. We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900 or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat, Sky Yuma, go Gophers. Episode 39 continues the Go Gopher podcast. Let's talk some Golden Gopher hockey. The Gopher men are ranked number two in the country. They started uh, the preseason poll ranked that. They swept Lindenwood, a new Division I program, over the weekend. And they've got a home-and-home with Minnesota State Mankato coming up this coming weekend. And who better to talk about the Gophers and give us some insight on this past weekend, the weekend ahead, and really the season ahead. Frank Mazzacco with the Gopher Radio Network. He and Wally Shaver bringing you the action on the Gopher Radio Network. Frank, good to see you. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you also. I am always amazed. It sneaks up on me, and I should know I've been around long enough, um, but I know it was about September... I don't know, 23rd, 24th, somewhere in there, and I'm reading some promos on the football broadcast. And it's, yeah, next Saturday is the Gopher opener. I always forget, you have the longest season in the history of the world. (laughs) Well, we do. We do. We've got the longest season of any of the college sports. Start October 1st, and we end somewhere around April 1st. It's 
It's a long one. Thank goodness for that holiday break, though. Otherwise, uh, it'd be a real marathon. Yeah, you guys luckily do get a little bit of time in December. Although, even like with the new Big Ten, that's less than it used to be, I think, right? In terms of the December time. Uh, or... You know, it all depends on where the exams fall. Yeah. Uh, and th- that's the, the key uh, indicator in, in when the de- December break starts. And, uh, you know, we've had a, maybe a little bit longer break. They haven't been able to put together a Mariucci Classic. It's just getting harder and harder to schedule teams to come out for, for that. So, yeah, that those are the two factors in how long our break is. Yeah. Well, it started. The season got underway this past Saturday. Lindenwood um, uh, starting in a, in a Division One uh, as a Division One men's hockey institution there from St. Charles, Missouri. When I was uh, spent my five-plus years uh, working at KMOX down in Missouri, I lived about 15 minutes from that campus and, uh, and uh, so know a little bit about the Lions. Uh, I did not know they were uh, going to be Division One hockey, though, until about that September 24th when I was reading that promo card. I'm like, Lindenwood's going D1. So I did do a little bit look at that. Um, and that's always an interesting test. You got the number two team in the country against a new Division One team. Uh, what were your impressions of the weekend, both uh, as you look at it from the Gophers' perspective and from the Lions' perspective? Well, let me take the Lions' perspective. We'll, we'll deal with them. We'll dispatch them as quickly <laughs> as we can. But I, it, they, they were impressive. Uh, they came in with a bit of an older group. Um, but uh, as, as I said on the air a couple of times, basically have a roster that nobody in the country wanted, right? Because um, yeah. here they are playing their first Division One games. And yeah, they had a couple of guys that transferred in, particularly their goaltenders had some D- Division One time. But uh, for the most part, these were a bunch of castoffs. So they were the castaways. <laughs> and um, they played well. You know, they played hard. It took them a while. Uh, Friday's game was kind of a no contact uh, game, but then they got a little bit more feisty on Saturday night, and and they gave the Gophers a battle, which was which was good. You know, I, I think it was good medicine for the Gophers. You you know, you're going to go against a really tough team next week, as we know, in Minnesota State. Uh, so it was good to get games under your belt, and then it was good for them to get pushed and tested a little bit on that second night. So let's warm up. Uh, the, the good thing is the games count and the Gophers got wins. Yeah. And, you know, it, the startup thing is different now than maybe it was way back, right? I mean, Penn State, it didn't take long for them to get competitive. Arizona State was competitive right away, then had a little dip. And um, but so, it, you know, and I don't know what Lindenwood's going to end up being. But, it, you know, should, should there be concern that the Gophers were tied 4-4 in the third with a upstart brand new program? Um, in my mind, No. Um, I don't want to use, I guess I'm going to, you know, we've used, people use the expression, you play down to your competition. Yeah. And I don't think that was the total story for the weekend. I mean, it was the first weekend for the Gophers. They were going to have a little bit of a struggle. The second thing is if the other team is like on Friday night, they give you a lot of time and space. Well, you're, you take it. You, you take the time and space, so you're not working as quickly as maybe you might normally do in, you know, going like up against a, an established team. So, you know, there's two teams on the ice, and they both have some say in how the game is being played. But, no, I, I don't think I would worry too much about it. I mean, uh, they, they were okay on, uh, hey, look, there's a lot of new faces, too. They had seven new uh, freshmen up front. They've got 11 freshmen in the lineup. So 
that's a pretty significant haul. You, you've got a bunch of guys that are going to have to get fine-tuned and, and find their way around the block. Yeah, well, don't you think that may be the number one storyline here through maybe that holiday break is how, I mean, obviously there's talented kids on this roster, and I say kids because many of them are kids still, um, and then you've got some older guys too that have been around the block that can you know maybe bring them along, but uh, I think that's going to be a fun storyline to see if they all get on the same page because hockey is weird too. You know, everyone's got their own thing. They've got, uh, you know, uh, some of them had world juniors in a weird time because of COVID here in the summer. Some of them were going to a prospects camp. Some of them just got drafted and spent time at the draft. And now, oh, by the way, here, let's throw you all on the ice and in 10 days you're going to have your first game, right? So um, I think that's an interesting storyline to see how they all evolve uh, in into a team at some point. Well, I think it's going to be a, a remarkable storyline this year, uh, not only in terms of number, but in terms of talent. It's a, re- it's a loaded uh, group. I mean, they're you know they're they're bringing in all kinds of uh, high draft picks, a, a first and a, a two first and a second rounder coming in, and um, so I, I just think it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, thing to watch. Bob Motzko, he he's going to be the artist on this one. Yeah, he doesn't have, doesn't have a blank canvas because there's a lot of tools in that toolbox. I I just think it's going to be very interesting to see how he manages all the talent. There's plenty there for him to work on. Yeah, and sometimes that's harder, right? I mean, sometimes the best coaching job might be managing a bunch of talent to make sure everyone is uh, gelling and everyone understands a role and, um, and and managing all of that. Sometimes with talent comes ego. Yeah. You've seen that too, right? So you've got to, you know, you got to keep a wrap on it, but um, it, it's it's fun. Bob has said, you know, the, the thing I don't, the thing he doesn't like about an early season like this is that they've got to start with basics. They've got to do the puck drills. They've got to do the basic, you know, uh, passing drills. He says, I'd like to get past that. I'd like to get to the meat and potatoes and, and, and compete. Um, and and, and, and go, going back to your earlier thought about things being a little bit different, for a long time I used to say, hey, forget about your freshmen until they're sophomores. Well, now we're saying, well, don't think about your freshmen October, November, December. Wait, wait for January. And uh, Bob said that he told some of his freshmen after the first week of practice, you're not freshmen anymore. You're, you're play like your sophomores. So he's that confident in their talent. Yeah. Well, and when you look at, you know, you got a number two overall pick, a couple more in the first round. And, um, you know, obviously that they, uh, they, they've been around the rink and they, they have some talent and it goes back to the age old. This is now, you know, not a new issue in terms of the, the philosophy of how you build a winning team in college hockey. Cause you got teams that are built with 23 year olds and teams, uh, that are built with a mix, like maybe the Gophers and then other teams. I, I can think of some Gopher teams in the past that had all, you know, 14, I think you cited that once on this podcast, 14 or 15 NHL draft picks, but they're all 19 going against 23-year-olds. And so it's that age-old philosophy, and I think that's why this storyline will be fun to see how the mix of, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Jackson Lacombe and Brock Faber and Ryan Johnson and some of these guys that, um, you know, are probably could be in the NHL right now. If not, they'd be high-level minor league players, right? And they're, they're on a college rink now, and then you got the, the younger guys that are coming along. I was surprised to hear Motsko say that he really, as of last year, during last season, he did not expect Ryan Johnson and Lacombe and Faber. He did not expect all three of them to come back. And, and certainly then none of us expected the forward Matthew Nyes to come back. So he's got all four of them back. Uh, so that, that couldn't, you know, that creates a bit of a logjam. 
Um, the, the new coach, uh, Steve Miller, who's going to handle the defensive core, he was shaking his head for a while in the offseason wondering, who am I going to play? How am I, you know, not not who, but how am I going to get all these guys in? Yeah. More like so who we, am I not going to play is the question. Who am I not going to play? That's, that's, <laughs> you're right. That's a better way, of, absolutely better way of saying who am I not going to play. So, you know, he sat out a senior defenseman. Yeah. Uh, uh, Matt, Matt Stoddicker didn't play this weekend. Um, Matt could play in any team in the country. Yeah, that's that's great. And then with that now comes the burden of expectation. So uh, it, it, it comes pretty fast. And, and I know uh, Bob Motzko has talked about it all the time. The expectation at Minnesota is to be Minnesota. And so he kind of embraces it. And I like that attitude, frankly. Yes, absolutely. And he's got a Minnesota team. He's got a good skilled team here. They're, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, we saw, we saw uh, you know, strokes of brilliance from Logan Cooley, the kid from Pittsburgh, from uh, Pennsylvania that Penn State wanted badly. Notre Dame wanted him badly, uh, and he winds up coming here. Jimmy Snuggerud was his line mate in uh, in the uh, with the U18 program in, in uh, Plymouth, uh, and they're together on a line. and And Jimmy's going to be a great player. So you know, uh, Snuggy was a. Um, a son of Dave Snuggerud for one, and then also one of the two first round draft picks. So yeah, they, they've got a really nice assemblage of, of talent. Uh, we're going to find out about toughness this coming weekend. No doubt. And I look at that Minnesota State uh, Mankato team. Obviously, they have gotten the Gophers now uh, into their season two years in a row, um, played in the title game last year. Um, but then I see they lost an exhibition over the weekend to Omaha. Was it 7-2 or something? And I don't know what that means because I don't I don't even know who played in that game. Um, but what did, what what have you been able to take from that, if anything, in terms of how that might impact or what we might see this weekend? Well, it raised some eyebrows to say the least. And uh, unfortunately, at this time, I haven't been able to look at a box score. Box scores are hard to come by in exhibition games yeah. uh, to find out who play. We do know that their Hobie Baker winner and Dryden McKay not on the team anymore. So right. now, is that a reason for giving up seven goals? We don't know. We're going to have to figure out because defensively, they tend to play the same no matter uh, who's in goal, right? Although McKay has, has been there most of the time the last couple, three years. Um, all right, so he's going to be gone. As I as I understand, their uh, returning goaltenders are either all new or have no experience. So that's a factor there. The flip side of that is, is they're going to be older. They, yeah. Their average age, this is I have looked up, uh, their average age is 22 and a half. You know, and the Gophers are coming in on average one year less per man. Wow. So when you line up for a faceoff, the guy you're lining up against is going to be a year older than you. Right. Yeah. So that's going to go out throughout, you know, on average throughout the lineup. That's going to be significant. And and as you mentioned, it, the tough toughness test comes too because the Mavericks, uh, they, they don't mess around. They're, you're going to be in for a hockey match, right? <laughs> no, you're right. And, you know, and, and I said they have the same ages as, uh, same average age as Lindenwood, but they've also got way more experience. Yeah. You know, and so that, hey, look, two years ago, the Gophers played them in Loveland and lost and did not look good at all. I think they were shut out in that game. Um, last year, we got all the way to Boston. It was a semifinal game, lost to them there, um, but at least played better. And I mean, I know that's, uh, I know I might be grasping for the rose colored yeah. glasses here and all, but they did play better. They didn't get annihilated as bad, but still lost to them. So there's two really difficult losses to take from this team. And, and I hope that the, uh, uh, upperclassmen can instill a little bit of that hurt 
and yeah. the freshmen who are coming in. Yeah, and 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 push along. Obviously, nothing gets decided the second weekend of October, but you have to believe that this is a game that uh, that Minnesota is going to you know want to go out and or a series that they'd love to go out and sweep. You know, just just to set a tone, if nothing else. Right, for sure. And, and they're going to have to learn from it, too, because it's very likely if they make it a, a national postseason, they're going to be playing a team very similar to this. Uh, there's an awful lot of schools that make the national tournament. They're going to do it with older players. Yeah. So, the you know, as Moscow said, you're, you're not going to be freshmen for long on this team. You're going to have to grow up in a hurry. All right, I'm going to make you put your radio guy hat on. Justin Close, we know about, had a great year, came in relief last year and and, and helped lead this team to the Frozen Four. Um, now, uh, and, and he started and, and got the win and a shutout on Saturday. I always want to say Friday, but I got to remember it's a Saturday-Sunday series this past weekend. Um, so on Saturday, he got the uh, he got the start and the shutout. And then this new guy, uh, Mr. Radio Announcer, tell me how to pronounce his name. And, What's uh, common Mike? You should be able to handle it. A common spelling, common pronunciation, yes. Exactly, exactly. Owen Bartoskevich. Thank you. And he was on this team in the spring, right? He was a... Uh, well, he came in right when LaFontaine left. Yeah. You know, so he filled the roster spot uh, that was open there and uh, did not play a minute. So he got his first Division One minutes here and did, did okay. Yeah, he gave up four goals. He did okay. Um, I, I was around the guys a little bit during the uh, summer as they played in a softball league, the, both the current players and some alumni players. And just from listening to the way they react with uh, Bardo, they call him Bardo, yeah. which is great. Understand they met a lot. Yeah. Uh, they love him. They love yeah. They kid with him. They tease with him. They joke with him. And, and, and you don't do that unless you really like a guy. Uh, so I think they've got full confidence in him and the net. And as I mentioned on the air, I, I, always worry that a second string goaltender is going to be just a flopper is not going to have the skills, but it looks like Bardo is, is going to be okay. He, he looks like a goaltender. Am I, and again, you, you've been around it. Is, is this still Justin? He's going to start most games. This isn't yeah. going to be like a Friday, Saturday rotation, right? I, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I, Justin has just, played so well that second half. I mean, if he had had the, he, his goals against average was below two, yeah. you know, in the, Season. If, if he had a full season under his belt, they would have been talking about him for a Richter Award candidate. Those are the kind of numbers that he had. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Well, and that'll be fun because it always matters. You got a guy in goal that can stop the puck, and then you add that talent and skill, and that's why they're ranked two, and, and that's why the expectations are Minnesota style expectations. And then you put those six or seven defensemen in front of him, and that makes his job a little easier. Uh, and makes him all the more effective, too. All right. Well, hey, we'll look forward to hearing you and Wally on the air this weekend, Friday and Saturday, right, uh, with the uh, the home-and-home home in Minneapolis yeah. Friday and down there on Saturday? Be a little bit early. I think we're doing uh, 7 o'clock at home and then uh, 6 o'clock on the Saturday game uh, for face-off, and then, of course, pregame a half hour before. All right. Well, very good. Well, I won't wait till April to have you back on. I know it's a long season, but we'll, we'll try to uh, get you and uh, Wally on a couple of times over the course of the year. I just won't be available during the Christmas break <laughs> that's fine that's fine no no worries i'll well hopefully hopefully i'm somewhere you know around that time maybe uh pasadena or someplace pasadena, 
that sounds like a yeah. lovely place Let, to be. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's keep our got fingers it. crossed. All right. Thanks, Frank. You got Mike. Thank you. My thanks to Frank Mazzocco for talking Golden Gopher hockey with us. And also a big thank you to Daniel House discussing Gopher football, the Gopher guru. The Go Gopher podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. We're also partnered with Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, a locally member-owned full-service financial invested in you. You can learn more at affinityplus.org slash gogophers. We're also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe to the Go Gopher podcast right now. It's free to click that subscribe button and to listen at any time. And please also help us get the word out on the podcast through your social media channels. After you listen, give us a retweet or a like. We'll talk again next week.